You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. you. It shows you a mark. It shows you a goal. And the goal is so high, you can't reach it. And you continue to try to reach it, and you continue to fail miserably, and you're left empty. Because the goal of the law is perfection. And you're empty. You cry out, and no one hears you. You cry out because you're empty. You seek solutions. You seek all kinds of things to fill the hole, to fill the void, to fill the emptiness. And you try all kinds of stuff Have you ever tried so hard for perfection that you gave up? Today, Pastor Dave addresses the religious leaders of Jesus' day and their legalism. He tells us that a relationship with Christ, not fulfilling man-made laws, brings satisfaction. The emptiness of the religious person disappears when Christ fills that void. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 22 as he continues his message, Paul's Apologia. Paul is standing before them. It's his heart's desire. It's a heartfelt desire. He wants to address his countrymen. He wants to tell them about Jesus Christ. So as we look to this week, we see Paul beckoning to them to be quiet. In verse 40, it says, So when he had given him permission, when the captain had given Paul permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in Hebrew, saying, The captain, he spoke Greek. He talked to the captain in Greek. But now he's going to speak to the Hebrews in their own language. And he begins his impassioned plea. And he says this in Acts 22, verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And here we see the Greek word, apologia. Hear my defense, my apologia. Paul's defense comes in the form of a testimony. It comes in the form of a testimony. And you all have a testimony. We all have a testimony. And it is a great defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a great thing to use for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul comes at his testimony. A testimony is simply a solemn declaration or affirmation made for the purpose of establishing or approving some fact. A testimony is witness giving evidence and proving the fact. But a testimony differs from evidence. A testimony is the declaration of the witness, and evidence is the effect of the declaration. Let me try to clarify this. Paul could give his testimony in words. This is what happens to me, and this is his declaration. What was the evidence? His changed life. The evidence was Paul's changed life. That was the evidence of what happened in Paul. A testimony is a powerful, powerful defense of the gospel. And the evidence of your changed life in support of your testimony speaks volumes to the world. It speaks volumes in defense of the gospel. There's a major problem, though. A major problem that a lot of us deal with sometimes. Sometimes our words don't match our actions. And hence, the testimony becomes confused. When our walk doesn't match our talk, 
people question and when they want to know. So Paul begins his defense, his apologia, and he uses some tactics here that are pretty cool. First of all, Paul speaks to the mob in his native tongue. This immediately quiets them. Paul speaks to them in words that they can understand. They don't need a translator. And I think it's so important that when we speak to people, we speak to them in a language that they can understand. So many times we want somebody to be saved, and we come up and we start spitting out words like redemption, reconcile, born again. And all these words were thrown out, and they're going, what? We need to speak to them in English. We need to speak to them in a language that they can understand. We want so much for them to be saved. We know such an importance of the Bible that we start throwing this stuff out there, this Christian ease, and we start throwing it at them that they can't understand it. We need them to, to speak to them in a language that is palatable to them and that they can understand. It's not confusing. This, I can back that up. In Acts 2, the church is born. 120 in the upper room get filled with the Holy Spirit. They come out and they start speaking in tongues in the whole front of everybody. What did the people hear? They heard their own language. And what did they hear? God being glorified in their own language. It was palatable to them. What was the result? Peter spoke. 3,000 got saved. 3,000 the first day got saved. Hearing Paul's testimony in, in their language made it easier for the Jews to accept and listen to him to that point. In verse 2 it says that when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept silent. They kept silent all the more. Now Paul has their attention, and he can give them the gospel message without an eruption. At least for a while. Hold that thought. Paul's defense is broken down into several parts. Today we're going to talk about his life B.C., before Christ. Then we're going to talk about his conversion. Then we're going to talk about his life after conversion. And then we're going to talk about his calling. In today's verses in 3 to 5, we see Paul's life B.C. Paul describes to the mob the beginnings and his former life as a Pharisee. Let's read them. He says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God, as you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as, as also the high priest bear me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul is trying to identify with them. He's trying to speak to them on their own level. He's trying to tell them that, hey, listen, guys, I was just as bit as zealous for the law as you were. I was just like you. I wanted to persecute Christians. I wanted to bring them back and see them suffer. I wanted to see them deny Christ, and I wanted to punish them for following this way. What a great way to begin a testimony. Sharing with someone your background. Sharing with someone what happened in your life, where your life was before Christ. You don't know who you're talking to. You may be a drug addict, an ex-drug addict, talking to a drug addict how you had an addiction and how Christ cured your addiction. You may be an ex-gambler talking to a, a person who has a gambling problem and how Christ healed your addiction. You may be an alcoholic talking to another person who's dealing with alcoholic and you tell them what Christ did in your life. You're telling, you're trying to, to, to equate what happened in your life to what they're going through. And this gives it credence. They go, wow, that happened to you? You went through that? And again, they see your life. They see your life and they go, wait a minute, there's something about the way they're living. He says he was this way, but he's not that way anymore. There's something here. 
What a great way. People examine your life and they go, wow, this is true. What he's saying about it is true. He doesn't do this anymore. He's not doing that. You get to show them Christ. That's what Paul wants to do when he now tells these men that he was experiencing the same thing they're going through. He experienced their emptiness. He experienced their loneliness. He experienced their guilt, and he experienced their anxiety. And Paul now wants to give these guys a reason for the hope that dwells in him. 1 Peter 3.15. He wants to give them the reason for the hope that's dwelling within him. Paul wants to lead these men to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul knows that only Jesus can fill the emptiness, take away the loneliness, take away the guilt, and calm the anxiety. Paul knows that because he's been there, done that, got the bruises to prove it. Paul wants to tell them that there's hope for the empty. These men were empty. Something was missing. They followed the rituals and the traditions, but something was not right. There was an emptiness within each of them that they couldn't explain. All the rituals and the traditions continued to leave them empty. Their religion wasn't working. There was an emptiness there. There was an emptiness. Augustine has a beautiful quote. He says, Our hearts are restless until they find the rest in the Lord. I love that. This is what legalism does to you. It shows you a mark. It shows you a goal. And the goal is so high, you can't reach it. And you continue to try to reach it, and you continue to fail miserably, and you're left empty because the goal of the law is perfection. And you're empty, and you cry out, and no one hears you. You cry out because you're empty. You seek solutions. You seek all kinds of things to fill the hole, to fill the void, to fill the emptiness. And you try all kinds of stuff to go in there. And oh, yeah, they satisfy you for about five seconds. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You're empty again. And you're out looking again to fill something else. That's why you go from this to that, from thee to thee, from whatever. Even relationships. We go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to fill the void. There's only one thing that fills the void. That's Jesus Christ. You know, it was probably good for some of these men to, 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 to be in this riot. Why? Because they felt they weren't alone. They, 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 weren't, they weren't by themselves. Paul wants to free these men from loneliness. You know, that feeling that you don't belong. A feeling that you're all alone in the world and nobody cares about you. You may have never had that feeling, but I've had it. A feeling that, that, that no one cares for you. You cry out to God and he hope that he hears you. You look for things and all kinds of stuff, but you still feel lonely and empty, and there's pain. Why do you think kids drift to the drug culture? I was a school teacher for a long, long time, and I would watch these new kids come in. These kids were a little bit different. They were a little bit odd. They might have dressed differently. They might have looked a little differently. Guess who the first culture was to accept these kids? The drug culture. The druggies, we used to call them. They accepted these kids with open arms, and they loved them. Those kids would gravitate that way. Why? Because of acceptance. You think the jocks would accept them? No way. You think the geeks would accept them? No way. These other guys had their own little cliques. They wouldn't accept them, but the druggies had their arms open wide. They accepted them, and that's why they went that way, because they were accepted. That's what Paul's telling these guys. He says, hey, guys, you're empty. You're lonely. You're looking for all kinds of things to fill this void. You're looking for all kinds of things to do. Your religion is obviously not working. You're not going to make that bar that has been set for you by the legalist. But Paul explains to them that there is a person. There is a one, capital O, who calls us a friend. There is a one who sticks closer to us than a brother. There is a one who will never leave us nor forsake us. There is a friend who has experienced your loneliness. 
Here's a friend who has experienced and suffered rejection and knows the feeling of a lonely life. He knows the feeling of not being accepted, not being wanted. He knows the feeling of not being wanted even by his own kind, his own people. There is someone who knows and understands. This is what Paul's saying. I know what you're feeling because I'm feeling rejected right now by you, and I'm a Jew, and you're rejecting me. Their religion had failed miserably. Paul wants to tell them about the emptiness. He wants to tell them about the loneliness. And he wants to tell them about their guilt. They're feeling guilty. Because why? Because this emptiness and this loneliness lead to guilt. This emptiness and loneliness, as we try to shove all this stuff into our body, we know it's wrong. We know it's not what we need to do. But it feels good for the moment, so we do it. Knowing that you don't fit in. Knowing that you're feeling empty and you're lonely because you can't fulfill God's requirements. You don't have to tell anybody they're a sinner. They know it. They know that they've fallen short of God's perfect law. We know that. These men feel guilty because they failed to keep God's law. They were the keeper of God's law. They were the Jews. They had God's law before them, and they couldn't keep it. They were guilty. They knew it. I think this riot was like them protesting too much. <laughs> they knew they were guilty, so they wanted to do something about it. Let's rail against this guy, because if we beat the sound out of him, we'll feel a lot better. They were killing the one who was trying to tell them. Paul knew this. Remember what he wrote to the Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember what he wrote to the Romans. There's none righteous, no, not one. I know your guilt, Paul says. You're guilty as I am. You're guilty as I am or I was. Paul's lamenting over what he did to these people, how he used to drag these Christians out of the synagogues, and how he used to drag these Christians out of churches and persecute them, and he's feeling remorse and guilty. Guilt traps a person. It keeps you in bondage. It keeps you in pain. It keeps you in suffering. This is what guilt does. And there's only one person that can break the chain. Jesus Christ. Only he can break the chain. Try everything else you want. He will wait for you until you've tried every single thing out there. He will wait until you reach the end. And when you turn around, he's standing there like, I never left. I'm here. Come here. Paul wants to tell them, guys, there is a righteousness that exists. There's a righteousness that exists, guys. And guess what? It's attainable. And guess what? It still comes from God, Jehovah. There is a righteousness that exists, and it's there. But this righteousness is apart from the law. It's a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to tell them. And guess what? I'm telling you folks that that righteousness is still available today. It is still available today that those would accept and believe by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wants to give these men hope for their emptiness, hope for their loneliness, hope for their guilt. And finally, Paul wants to give these men hope for their feelings of anxiety that they're filled with. You know, anxiety, the fear of the truth. What are we going to do? He's filled with the anxieties of the world, the anxieties that Paul used to have. They're trying to live a life by following a law that they're failing miserable. They believe as Jews they must follow these traditions. They must follow these rituals to be continually saved. They're zealous for the law, but they can't do it. 
Now they're anxious because this guy, Paul's here, and he's showing them a new way. He's contrary to what they believe, and this causes an anxiety in them that can't be quelled. Teaching against Moses? That's unheard of. How dare you teach against Moses? Moses, our deliverer. His anxiety swells up in these men. What will we do? You know, anxiety is nothing but the fear of the future. What will happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next day? When we become anxious, I like to call us the what-ifs. What if something happens? Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And you find yourself tied up at night because you're anxious and you're worried about everything else. Christ said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. I want your anxiety. I want everything you have. The fear of death holds us all down. It's something that we all have to face. But death holds us in bondage because it's unknown. It's a fear. Christ came to set us free from that. The truth sets us free from anxiety. Paul wants to guide them into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, not by the law. He wants to guide them into a loving relationship where the fear of death is settled, where anxiety is given way to praise, where anxiety is given way to feelings of everlasting hope and everlasting life. That's what God wants to do. The psalmist, in fact, it was David, in Psalm 94, 19, says, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delights my soul. When you're anxious and we call upon God, his comfort washes over us and we're comforted by words of hope. This is what the gospel message does. It gives hope. It gives hope to the hopeless, to the lonely, to the empty, to the guilty, to the anxious. It gives hope where there is none. This world does not give you the hope that Jesus gives you. The world's hope is empty. It is empty, and you will never get anywhere trusting in the world's hope except more emptiness, more loneliness, more guilt, and more anxiety. John Corson said, quote, Paul's message was neither a teaching on the Old Testament prophecy nor exposition of temporal typology. No, Paul's apologia was his own testimony. This should be very encouraging to us because each one of us has a testimony. Each one of us has B.C. days. We have B.C. days or a testimony of our life with Christ and how maybe you've messed up. I know none of you have, but I have messed up every now and then, you know, and, I, and that's my testimony when I talk to people. This is encouraging to us. This is encouraging to us. And I remember being a new Christian, and Greg Laurie was coming to town, and we went to these... Went to these um, Meetings on how to be a counselor on the, on, the, on the floor when Greg would call the people down and he would give a gospel message and people would accept Christ. And we were counselors. We were going to give them Bibles and we were going to talk to them about our faith. And we were all so worried. What do we say? How do we talk to them? We're not capable. He says, just tell them what God did in your life. Tell them what Christ did for you. Relate to them what Christ did for you and tell them that. That was the story that Greg told us to tell the people. What is that? That's your testimony. That's what God did for you. There's a great story. There's a great story in John 9. The story of the blind man who was blind from birth. He has this encounter with Jesus or this man that he doesn't even know who it is, and he receives his sight. 
And after he receives his sight, the Pharisees, wonderful chaps that they are, call him in. And they start railing upon him, wanting to know about this man. Who was he and, and what is he doing? And they're calling him a sinner. And they're calling him all kinds. Of course, they're calling Jesus a sinner. And they're calling They even have the man's mother and father come up and, and give witness about the things. I mean, it's crazy. It's a wonderful passage. Read it in, in John 9. But they continue this argument back and forth. They continue this argument about Jesus. Like I said, the man doesn't even know who Jesus is yet. He finds out at the end of the chapter. But there's these beautiful words in chapter 25 when they finally get that kind of push them. What's going on? What's going on? Listen to his testimony. Listen to his testimony in one sentence. They call him Jesus a sinner. And the man comes back in verse 25. He says, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. What a testimony. What a wonderful testimony. This is what I was before I met this man. And this is the way I am now. That's a testimony. And then he meets the guy. And he's talking to this man. And Jesus identifies himself to him. And man worships him. Because he's the Messiah. That's what a testimony is. I once was blind. I once was an addict. I once was a gambler. I once was this. I once was that. But now I'm not. Why? Because Jesus loves me. Because Jesus pulled me out of the muck and mire, cleaned me up, called me his own, loved me like I'd never been loved before, and said, stick with me, kid, and called me a friend. The creator of the universe who died on a cruel wooden cross like that calls me a friend. There is absolutely no way that he could call me a friend. You think you don't have a defense of your Christianity. You have such a defense. You have such a wonderful defense. And I'm telling you, they need to hear it. The world needs to hear your defense, your apologia. Your apologia, because there is hope for the empty today. There is hope for the lonely today. There is hope for the guilty today, and there's hope for the anxious today, and his name is Jesus. And he is the Christ, son of the living God. He has come to bring us back to the Father. He has come, come to save us from our sins. He has come to bring us everlasting life. He declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm, I am the truth. Truth of what? I'm truth of the life, the true life. We're all looking for truth. Everybody's searching for truth today. What is truth? What is right? Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. You're looking for a way to God? Jesus says, I'm the way. You're looking for the truth? Jesus says, I'm the truth. You're looking for true life? Jesus says, I'm the true life. Basically, what Christ is saying is, look no further. Stop looking around. Stop trying everything under the sun. Stop destroying yourself. Come to me. Come to me, he says. Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense, apologia, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's what Paul did today, and that's what I'm, 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 I'm telling you right now from the bottom of my heart. This is the gospel message. This is what we do. 
Your life is important. It's important to God. You are a You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.